This is Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Shoe Football Forum. So thanks once again for joining us here on Football Forum. Great to have you with us on the programme. And um, as ever, we have uh, we have a ton of special guests. And um, as La Liga is finally returning, the Spanish League, um, we thought, well, we have no idea about it whatsoever. So we thought we'd bring in a bit of an expert, uh, reporter for La Liga TV, uh, joins us live from Valencia, Rob Kidd. Morning, Rob. Morning, Joseph. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on um, to talk uh, talk some La Liga. And um, first of all, let's start with the basics. How are how excited are you that uh, La Liga is returning? Yeah, pretty excited to be honest. Um, I mean, it's been sort of nearly three months, obviously, without any football here in Spain. Um, and you know, as you'd know, things have been pretty tough here in terms of the coronavirus. It's been, uh, been quite a big impact as it has in, in lots of parts of the world, of course. So I think, yeah, there's a, there's a real feeling of, um, you know, a bit of normality returning with football. Spain's obviously a football-mad country. Um, and, yeah, it, it's going to be like a real kind of, you know, they're talking about a festival of football. I think we've got uh, 100, 110 games in 39 days. So there's going to be a game, uh, game every day. It's all free, of course, in the UK. If you've got Sky or there's a Premier Sports app, you can... You can um, download to, to get all the games free so yeah I think it's going to be really exciting and you mentioned there that uh, Spain is a, a slightly football mad country uh, what's the mood amongst the fans that football is finally returning in, in their country yeah I, I think it's pretty positive um, I mean I guess there is kind of still this question about will fans be allowed in stadiums at the moment that looks like that's not going to happen which you know probably makes a lot of sense but then there is kind of the argument that here, for example, a lot of bars are open at you know 30% capacity, so you can sit on the terrace and have a beer. Is that really that different to being in a stadium? So I think that the Liga president Javier Tebas has kind of left that open that potentially there might be some um, some fans being allowed in the stadium before the end of, of this season, even if it's only say 30% full, something like that. Um, but yeah, I think people are people are really looking forward to it um, getting back. And there's still a lot, of, lot to play for, really. Whichever club you support in, in La Liga, you've, um, you're either looking towards the European places or you know, the title if you're Real Madrid or Barcelona. And then pretty much everybody in the bottom half has still kind of got that concern about relegation. So plenty to play for, I think. So let's assume, well, we know the first few games at least have been behind closed doors. Mm. And even if when fans come back, like I say, they'll be at reduced capacity. So... How much of an impact do you expect that to have on the league? Do you think we'll see something similar to what we've had in Germany where home teams aren't really winning much? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think we probably will see something similar to what we've seen in Germany. Um, I think if you look at some stadiums in particular are not good places to play for away teams. Places like, you know, Ibar's, um, Iparura Stadium is sort of in the middle of nowhere, it can be quite bad weather there, the fans are very on top of you um, and you know people from Barcelona and Real Madrid and, and your big clubs don't like to play there um, and then the other factor I suppose is um, teams like Real Madrid have obviously announced that they're not going to play at the Santiago Bernabeu, they're going to play at their training ground which is only 6,000 seats um, and you think, well, that could be an advantage to away teams, but perhaps it could be an advantage to Real Madrid because they don't have 80,000 fans breathing down their necks and uh, criticising every mistake. So <laughs> I, I think that's a good point because home advantage certainly does mean something um, insane. 
So playing without any fans is going to be a strange one. Um, I mean, another example is Levante, one of the one of the teams I kind of cover here in Valencia, and they've got works going on at their um, building works at their stadium. They've decided they're going to play in a, a much smaller stadium, which is about a hundred kilometers, well, hundred miles away actually, to the south. So it's it's going to be a strange one. I mean, the players obviously aren't used to things like the dimensions of the pitch and the and the surroundings. Um, so yeah, I, I think like you say, like we've seen in the Bundesliga, we'll probably get some more more away wins perhaps than we're than we're used to in the league. Fantastic stuff. So let's crack on and uh, look at the title race because obviously it is between Real and uh, and Barcelona. Um, who do we think, in your opinion, is in better shape to take the title? Well, yeah, tricky one. Um, I think. You know, it's, it's been a funny season, really, for those two, because neither of them have been particularly consistent. Um, I think if you look at Barcelona in particular, the times I've seen them, they've, they've looked quite quite brittle, really. Uh, you know, I think you've got players like Sergio Busquets, who's been a mainstay, obviously, for, for years and years. And I don't think it's unfair to say he's probably, he's probably passed his best. Um, people like Ivan Rakitic as well, kind of the wrong age of 30, perhaps is has struggled a little bit with consistency this season. Um, and in defence, they just haven't, haven't quite looked um, as solid as, as they have previously. Um, I was having a look yesterday, and I think Barca have lost five matches already this season, which they haven't lost five matches in a season for kind of three or four years. Mm. So that, that, that tells you something. Then on the other hand, they're top. <laughs> they're top and they're two points clear um, because Madrid have had a, a similar problem. Um, if we look just before the, the enforced break, yeah, Madrid won El Clasico and, and deservedly, in, in my opinion, they were the better side. But then between that, they lost to Real Betis, who were, who were 12. And um, they lost to Levante. Levante, um, a match I went to, which, again, was not really an unfair result. Levante played well and, and Real Madrid didn't, didn't deserve to get anything from that game. So it's probably going to come down to who kind of obviously recovers better from this, from this break. If you're going to push me, I'd, um, I'd probably at the moment go for Real Madrid. Um, I think despite that kind of two-point gap, I think they've got the depth of squad that they can, they can really push Barca and, and perhaps pip it out of the end there. Um, you look at, there's been a lot of talk, you never know how much you talk, but there's been a lot of talk in kind of the Spanish press about um, Eden Hazard looking really fit and, and coming back and looking really good in training because he hasn't had the best season. Um, so if I hasn't quite had the impact, I think people would have expected so if he if he truly is back and fit and raring to go that's you know he's a, he's a, a weapon for any team um Marcos Asensio as well is a really good young player another attacking player um so yeah I think if, if you look at kind of the squad depth at the moment I would I'd be back in Real Madrid and you mentioned that Real Madrid before you know games are curtailed hadn't had the best of recent form and, you know, they'd lost a couple of games and they were, they were really struggling to pick up points in, in games that you probably would have expected them to. As a result of that, do you think that the break came at a good time for Real Madrid to just go, look, let's reset. We need to, you know, just switch off for a minute and then come back, whenever that may be, and then, you know, get going again and, and really hit the ground running? Yeah, I think it probably did. I think that's a good point. Um, as I say, they, they'd, you'd had... Sorry, like you say, they've had a couple of poor results in the league. They'd also gone out of the Champions League, of course, um, against Manchester City, which, you know, for Real Madrid, they, they sort of consider that their trophy. So that's a bit of a disaster. Um, and yeah, you know, they, they need to have a good season because last season they, they finished third. 
Um, they didn't win the Champions League. So, you know, they haven't won the league now for a couple of years. So there is, there is kind of that pressure. Um, and yeah, I think having that break, having been able to get those players back that I mentioned there, I think they've got a virtually fully fit uh, squad to choose from now. So, so that could be a really good thing for them. But it is kind of fascinating, I guess, with all, with all this football in, in Germany and in England as well. You know, how are teams going to come back? How are teams going to recover? Have they had enough time to get up to speed? Have they had enough time to get, you know, uh, the tactics from the, from the coach properly? Um, obviously, something which we're going to see as well is, is the five substitutes coming in, which Barcelona, the, the coach there, Kike uh, Setien, has already said he thinks it's going to be a disadvantage for Barcelona because sort of teams who perhaps sit back and, and are happy to let Barcelona pass around them um, can bring on fresh legs, you know, in the last 20 minutes and, um, you know, to, to do a bit more chasing and perhaps kind of secure a draw or a win or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to see how teams come back. But for, for Madrid, um, yeah, I think it would be a good thing in terms of getting those players back, back from injury. That's an interesting point on Barca, actually, and something that I'd, I'd never actually thought of. But what could be an advantage for them and what probably will be is that Luis Suarez is back, uh, fit to play against Mallorca. We've, we've seen Griezmann not have the best season as well. So how, how much of an impact do you think Suarez is going to have on that team's uh, prospects? I think he'll have a, a big impact, yeah. I think, um, you know, he's really kind of the only, what you'd call an out-and-out number nine in that Barcelona squad. Um and, you know, with, with Messi, he's, well, I think most people would accept he's, he's the best player of all time, probably, or, you know, in the, in the top one or two. Um, and he, at times, you wouldn't say he's been carrying the team, but I think at times he has, has got Barcelona out of trouble. Um, and even he, you know, I guess has to have a limit. He's, I think, 33 now, or about 33. He's going to be playing potentially every few days. Um, so teams are going to have to use their squads. And, and for Barca to be able to call back um, Luis Suarez, um, yeah, I, I think it's a big weapon. And like you say as well, Griezmann, he hasn't had the best season. I mean, he's still a, a very good player, I think. Um, but he perhaps hasn't had that same impact, a bit like Hazard at, um, at Real Madrid. So if you can call on Suarez, um, who, who is a goal scorer? He will score goals. If he's got Messi, Griezmann providing, um, providing assists, um, yeah, I, I think he could play, uh, could play a key part. Fantastic stuff. So um, let's move on to the race for, for Europe, obviously the Champions League and Europa League. Uh, the team that I'm wearing, the namesake shirt of Sevilla, um, they kick us all off on Thursday. The third, 47 points, but then you've got uh, your home club in Valencia. They're seventh, 42. So there's only five points difference and a five-horse race uh, for those Champions League spots. Who do you see, in your opinion, as coming out on top? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, I think, because um, it's, it's such a tight race, as you say. Um, and I mean, even if you look down, so this is a bit ambitious, but if you look down even to, to 10th place, um, Athletic Club Bilbao, I mean, if they had a couple of good results, they may, may even start thinking that they could, um, they could perhaps uh, be in an outside shout for, for a Champions League place, certainly a Europa League place. But yeah, I think of, of the ones who are really in there at the moment, Sevilla have quite impressed me this season. You know, they had a big um, overhaul of transfers last summer. Um, they brought about 15 players in. Um, and Monchi, the, the technical director there, is sort of, you know, well-known as like, being able to spot a player and, and, and continually uh, rebuild a squad. 
and to be third at this stage of the season, I think, you know, is, is very impressive um, for Sevilla. Um, Real Sociedad in fourth, I think, as well, have sort of won um, a lot of praise among neutrals just because they've got quite a youthful squad and they play really nice attacking football. Um, Odegaard, who of course is owned by Real Madrid, but he's on loan there. He's, he's been sensational this season. Um, Alexander Isaac, the young Swedish striker, has got a lot of goals. Um, so I think a lot of people would probably quite like to see Sociedad um, qualify for the, uh, for the Champions League. Um, but then, of course, Atletico Madrid, who finished second for the past couple of seasons. And for me, they're just a team. I, I can see them getting in the top four. They're sixth at the moment. But I think when you've got Diego Simeone, he's such a kind of wily operator. Um, you can never really count, count against him. And Jan Oblak, they've probably got the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, they're always solid. And if they can get players like, you know, Jao Felix, who, who started really impressively and then perhaps faded away a little bit, if he can kind of come back in this sort of second half of the season or so, um, I, I can see them taking one of those places. Um, and as to the other, I mean, Hitafe is, I suppose, the team I haven't mentioned there who um, aren't quite as sort of easy on the eye as, as a real Sociedad. Um, but the achievement is, is incredible, I mean, to be be fighting for the Champions League again because they um, I think they finished fifth or sixth last season um, on, on the budget they have it is, is quite incredible um, I wonder if this break will not help them so much um, again like we were saying earlier not having that home advantage as well if that they could be one of those teams who, who miss out um, miss out in that aspect um, so who have I got I've got Atletico in there somewhere Valencia, unfortunately, I, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to think they could get in the Champions League again. I, I'm not quite sure they will. Um, I think a lot will depend on how they start after this break. They've got on Friday night. It's the the Valencian derby, Valencia and, and Levante, um, and then Valencia's next match is uh, is away at Real Madrid. So, you know, if they can get a good start and perhaps get four points from those two matches, you know, perhaps that would be a good base to build from. I'm not sure if they will be able to do that. So. Um, I think I'd go for the for the final two Champions League spots. I think Atletico uh, Madrid and and let's say Real Sociedad will do it. Sorry, not Sevilla, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when when people don't sit on the fence. So you know, fair play for actually you know for making a decision and, and picking your options. But one of the teams that you I want to mention is uh, Getafe, um, and you know we mentioned that they're not particularly pretty on the eye. They're quite a hard Brexit team if you can have that in Spain. <laughs> um, you know, but. They they had such a, a brilliant season and, and and as you mentioned such a small budget. What what's the secret to their success recently? Because you know they they have been such a shock to the system. Yeah, um, great question. I think a lot of teams would like to know the secret. Um, I mean, I think you have to look at the coach Jose Bordelas. He's he's a bit of a um, polemic figure. Um, you know, he, he can, he's a bit of like a Diego Simeone, I suppose. He can get a bit sort of animated on, on the touchline. And, you know, obviously he sets his teams up to win or to, to draw where he thinks they can't win. And um, it's very, very effective. It's, it's very effective football. You know, there's, there's not really a lot of stars, perhaps no stars, you could say, in, in the squad. Um, players picked up cheaply, um, players that other clubs don't want. But, you know, as I say, you go and watch them and it's, it's certainly not like watching a Barcelona. It's not a tiki-taka. Um, but as, as I say, it's, it's effective. Um, and, you know, I think players, 
as, as opposition clubs, you can complain about it or whinge about it, but they're, they're playing football the way that they, um, the way that they, they can to pick up as many points as they can. And um, yeah, it's, it's been really effective. I mean, I think before the break, they beat um, Ajax in the, in the Europa League. It's not just sort of in Spain that they're, they're um, having success. Um, and, you know, Bordelas, I think, is a very ambitious coach. And leaving the past, it's sort of spoken about. He'd like to coach in England uh, one day and that kind of thing, which would be really interesting and see if he can kind of adapt his style. Um, but, yeah, I think really in, in Spain, where a lot of teams do play this quite attractive, quite open um, style of football, Levante, for example, you know, I think they're 13th at the moment. And, um, you know, they play really nice football. Um, where, but sometimes you go and watch them and think, well, you're too open. If you'd been a bit more conservative, um, perhaps you'd have got a point here instead of, instead of losing. Um, whereas, yeah, I think, I think Atafe just, um, they have a style of playing and, and they stick to it. And um, it's, been, it's been very successful again this season. Um, another team that we, well, that, that, that you say they're a bit similar to Fatafe, Atletico Madrid, haven't quite been at the level that we sort of expect from them. I know a couple of games could take them up to third, but you'd expect them to pull away from that pack a bit. Why haven't they been at the best this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, if you look at sort of their, their summer business, um, they did have a, a bit of an overhaul. Um, and obviously they bought in, they lost them, Godin. Um, who was sort of a mainstay of that um, that central defence, um, and brought in players like Jao Felix and Kieran Trippier, of course, as well at the back. Um, and I think you know it's natural that players like that are going to take a little bit of time to to transition into the team. Um, but yeah, I think again it's been a bit inconsistent. Um, let's go. I suppose they're they're one of those teams again where they they can grind out results, but sometimes sort of at home against. Uh, um, you know, a, a lesser club, I suppose, um, they can't always get the win. You know, that I think they've had a lot of draws uh, this season. Um, but, but it's funny because you look at the Champions League and obviously they, they knocked out Liverpool. They beat Liverpool over two legs. And I think most people in Liverpool have probably been the best side in Europe, um, you might say, in the past kind of, kind of 12 months or so. So, you know, yeah, they can mix it. I mean, they're still... A bit like Hatafe, they're still always going to be difficult to to, uh, to beat um, Atletico. You know, you never have an easy game against them, um, which is such a good good base. Um, and then when you bring in players like Jao Felix, and you know, I think Diego Costa has still um, still got something to give. Um, so I, I guess that's why I think you know this break perhaps has been good for them to sort of get back to you know uh, get back to basics a little bit. Um, hear the tactics from Simeone again training together again and I think you know they, they'll go on a good run now and um, as I say I, I think they can get to the top four. Let's move on to uh, to the other end of the table then Rob uh, with the uh, the relegation dogfight as it says here on uh, on our little script and uh, Ibar they're a uh, small bass town um, and they've got the population of Staley Bridge apparently a uh, little uh, little known place. That's over my there. fact I love that one. And <laughs> um, how are they Competing at, le- at this level, then, uh, as we say, they're only two points above above the bottom three. Can we really see them staying up? Um, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, without wanting to be biased, I- I've got a bit of a, a soft spot for, for Ibar, as I hope 
um, a lot of people do. Just because, like you say, I mean, it's, yeah, I think 20,000 people or something like that. It's, it's a little town in the Basque country. Um, you know, I think it's sort of famed for being quite an industrial town. There's not loads of sort of opportunities and, and, and work there traditionally. Um, and of course, they're sort of competing for players with, with the Basque giants, if you like, Athletic Club and, and Real Sociedad. So Ibar, um, I mean, their, their story is quite, quite incredible, really. Um, I did actually speak to, a little while ago, Alex um, Alathabel, who used to be the president of Ibar. And, and he sort of was, was one of the guys who took over when they, I think they were in Segunda B, so like the third, third tier of um, Spanish football, where it's kind of quite often semi-professional. Um, and yeah, facilities are not, um, not what they are in Liga. And yeah, I mean, their story of, of sort of promotions and, and being in the Liga, and I think they've been there now for four or five seasons, if I'm not mistaken, is, is, is quite amazing. Like they've done it on a, a shoestring budget. Um, something that, um, that Alex said to me was that they sort of targeted players who brought into the, the ethos of the club. Um, and you know, that it was that you're sort of fighting for a common goal. They didn't want the egos, they didn't want stars, they couldn't afford stars. Um, but yeah, they wanted players who kind of really, as I say, brought into this ethos. And it's worked really well. Um, and you know, they, there was this wonderful story about to get promotion to La Liga. I think they had to raise a lot of money. And so they offered shares in, in the club to um, people all over the world, bought shares in, in Navar um, and sort of put them on the map a little bit globally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I would like to see them stay in, stay in the Liga um, if it's possible. But they, yeah, I mean, they're 16th. They are one of the teams I'm, I'm a little bit worried about. Um, as I said earlier, I think not having home advantage could be, could be a problem for them. They do get a lot of their points at home. Um, and, and and it is tight at the bottom. So so yeah, I do worry a little bit about about Abar. Um, but fingers crossed they can they can stay up for another season. Bottom of the table this season and a and a real underachiever is Espanyol. Uh, got in the Europa League, didn't they? They, they played Wolves in in that competition. So a bit surprising to see them down there. What what's led to that? Do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, they, I think they have been a, a big disappointment this season, really. Um, that's what said to it. I'm not really sure. I mean, I suppose like with the Europa League, I know they talk about this quite a lot in, in um, England that it can be a distraction for some clubs um, who perhaps don't have the squad, the squad depth, and that that could be something you could say about Espanyol. They perhaps haven't had um, the depth to compete in Europe and in La Liga, um, but still to be twentieth at this stage of the season is, is a big surprise and big disappointment for them. Um, I, I do think they have what it takes to get out of it. Um, I think if you look, the fixtures aren't, aren't easy. They've still got to play Real Madrid and, and Barcelona, I think. But um, they do have Leganes um, at home, I think Mallorca at home and Celta Vigo at home on, on the final day of the season. So even without that home advantage with the fans, you know, that's, that's got to be a big kind of psychological boost um, to have those three, three relegation rivals to play. Um, and I think somebody who's, who's probably going to play a big part is going to be Raul de Tomas, the, the centre forward that they signed in January. A record fee, you know, it's quite a gamble. Um, and he scored, I think, four goals in six games. So he, he looks a player. And, um, you know, he, he, Espanyol really are going to need his goals. But I, but I think they're going to have enough to get out of it. I mean, relegation would be a bit of a disaster, really, for them. So, um, so I think they'll have enough to... To, uh, to stay up this season. 
And we look at the uh, the other teams down there, as you say, Laganes, Mallorca, Celta de Vigo. Um, it's pretty much we can we can imagine that Espanyol are probably one of those that are going to go down in the bottom three. Who's your bets on on the other two? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think with Espanyol, I just I'm I'm not sure. I kind of still think that they might survive. Um, I think because, like I said, they've got those games against the relegation rivals. Obviously, it's not guaranteed you're going to win those, but think they'll be strong enough to you know to potentially win all three or, or sort of collect seven points um Leganes, though I am a bit worried about I think um you know they lost Martin Braithwaite of course to Barcelona in February which was quite you know pretty unlucky or, or quite unfair depending on, on your opinion um he was the guy who kind of got got the goals for them so unfortunately I don't think Leganes will have enough to stay up um similarly Mallorca um, that home advantage, I worry a bit about them without having kind of that, that rocking stadium um, and those sort of um, fans that they can uh, can get at home. So I think possibly those two will go down. And then as for the third, and as I said, I'm a bit worried about Abar. Um, Celta Vigo always surprised me because whenever I've seen Celta Vigo uh, live, they've looked a really good team. Um, I saw them uh, at Villarreal earlier in the season. They won 3-1. I think they were in the relegation zone at the time and they just looked like they did not look like a team that was going to be relegated um players like Iago Aspas he just, he just always carries them he's, he's such a good player um and yeah I mean I, I think they've got a good squad but then they only just avoided relegation last season they're in the mix again very much so this season so so who knows um I think you know if I was going to stick my neck out again, don't know why I'm sticking my neck out today, but um, <laughs> I'd uh, yeah, I think Legan is Mallorca, and um, I think Espanyol might just survive. So so Abar, I think I'd have as a third team. That breaks my heart because I Abar for me are probably the team that I'm, you know, a most enjoyable not enjoyable to watch but most likable. Their story is the best. But which yeah. team do you think for? English fans, or well, for neutral fans, obviously watching across the globe, globe, who's the most enjoyable team to watch aside from the big clubs? Would you say? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, um, I think you're right in that a bar for, for the story. You know, if you if you know a little bit of the history, um, it, like it's hard to not want them to win, hard to not not to, to root for them. Um, as I say, it's Celta de Vigo. They um, pretty good football I've got some good players uh, I mean Levante if I was going to pick kind of from, from my own city here um, I think Levante are a really good really good side to watch as I said they're very open um, they play good football they've got some really good players who you know perhaps English audiences aren't so aware of but players like Jose Campagna who plays in the midfield I think he's been linked with, with a move to, to the Premier League in the past um, he's, he's a really good footballer um, but you know, I suppose a good one for, for pure excitement would be um, would be Villarreal, which um, they're so inconsistent. Um, but they've scored something like I think they're the fourth or fifth highest goal scorers in the league this season. But they concede a lot of goals as well. And um, you know, San, Santi Cazorla is still going strong at 35. And I'm not a Spurs fan, so it's hard to say this, but he is, he's he's a joy to watch. He's a, he's a lovely player to watch. Um, and um, yeah, I think Villarreal, you always get a bit of excitement. You know, they might beat Real Madrid one day and then I think their last match uh, before the break, they lost at home to Leganes. So, 
you never know what you're going to get, but you usually get uh, usually get goals. So could you tell us a, a bit about some young talents in the league as well that we might not necessarily be aware of? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose going back to Villarreal again, uh, they've got a couple of players. I'm not sure how well they're known in England or not, but players like Paul Torres, who's a, who's a centre-half, um, you know, tall, um, you know, quite elegant on the ball. Um, he's a good footballer who, who, again, I think has been linked with um, you know, with bigger clubs here in Spain and and, and also in, in the Premier League. Um, same with Villarreal. Um, just a guy who, who probably is a bit better known, but Samuel Chapweze, um, the the winger or Takamitula from from Nigeria. He hasn't actually had the best season. He had a really good season uh, last season, and I think people thought he was going to sort of break through this season. It hasn't, hasn't quite happened for him. But um, you know, he, he's a young young guy. He's got a lot of talent. Um, he's quick. He's tricky. He, he usually scores goals. Um, so I think he's somebody we'll we'll hear a lot more about in the future. Um, the other player, you know, who springs out straight away is, is Ferran Torres at, um, at Valencia. Obviously, you know, now he's becoming a bit more of a name, but um, he he looks like he has everything to be to be a really top player. Um, you know, he's, he's a young guy. I think he's only twenty or twenty-one now, um, but he's sort of a regular in the team um, every week. Um, he's from Valencia. There's, there's a lot of rumours here, of course, about you know the big clubs wanting Barcelona, Real Madrid, even the Premier League, sort of bigger clubs as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with him, I think, because you know, will he stay an extra an extra season in Valencia, or will he decide to move this summer? Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with transfers as well, and, and what clubs will be able to afford and that, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think Ferran Torres is an interesting one because he usually plays on the right hand side of midfield. He's a great crosser of the ball. But he's not kind of lightning quick, so he's not your, your traditional winger. Um, so you do wonder will he perhaps move inside and become a, a more playmaker, a David Silva type player, a one matter, somebody like that. Um, or I've even heard him compared to kind of David Beckham in the past for you know more staying on that right hand side and, and just delivering quality crosses. Um, but yeah, that's that's a couple of names there I think who are who are certainly worth keeping an eye on. Fantastic stuff. And uh, we'll just finish up with uh, we're having a quick look at the first game back, the Andalusian derby, El Gran Derby, as they call it, um, at the Sanchez-Pithuan. Uh, Sevilla Betis, what's your take on it? Obviously, we've had three months without any football in Spain, but I think everyone's just going to be watching it and excited to get Spanish football back. Yeah, uh, yeah I think so. I think you're right. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be quite the same because you know there's not going to be fans in the stadium of course and for a derby that you know that is a shame but it's it's the way it has to be at the moment um i know la liga are sort of making a lot of efforts to have some atmosphere for people watching at home so they they're going to have i think virtual fans and kind of um this thing they call atmospheric audio so it's sort of like fan noises which i think they've got from the fifa fifa uh, video game so that that could be interesting um but yeah, I think like we said earlier, everyone's really looking forward to it. It's a, it's a great game um, to come back with. Um, and it really sets the tone then for yeah, what's going to be quite an intense period of, of football game every day, as I said. Um, we've got the Seville derby, the next day the Valencia derby. Then you're into sort of Barcelona playing Real Madrid. So I think it's going to be really great because there's not that many matches that you can kind of... Uh, 
you know, pass off and say, oh, this is a, a game neither team has anything to play for. Pretty much every every game, certainly the first few weeks, teams are going to have something to play for. Um, and yeah, I think that that Sevilla derby is going to be uh, going to be the perfect start, really. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute honour to uh, to chat to you this morning, Robert. Huge thank you for for the grilling that you've had to endure from us on uh, on Spanish <laughs> football. Um, and we'll make sure that uh, we speak to you again very soon uh, to, to have a bit more of a, a review of the season, shall we say? Yeah, brilliant. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.